1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. In just a moment, 1 John chapter 2. The first epistle of John is in some ways alarming, and I believe the Christians who first receive this epistle would have been alarmed at some of the things John said. False teachers had enjoyed some attention in deceiving people about the person and work of Jesus Christ. No heresy can be ignored, but alarms need to go off when the truth about who Jesus is and what he did is diminished or denied. John says that some had already departed from the faith. This is stated in 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us. And so John's burden is to write clearly about Jesus Christ and the truth of the Incarnation expose the Antichrist and call those weak in the faith who may have been deceived or were susceptible to deception back to the strength and victory of full faith in Christ. That's the scope of the first epistle of John. Now part of John's approach is to assure Christians of the forgiveness of sin available in Christ. And along with that, to make certain, it is well understood that obedience to Christ must continue to be our way of life. So, there is this in 1 John 2, 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says, he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I want to study this with you tonight. Through this approach, one purpose, one advocate, and one response. Let's begin with one purpose. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. One of the purposes of Scripture is, and the one highlighted here, that we may not sin. Now, isn't that really simple and clear and true? One of the purposes of Scripture, and the one punctuated here is, that we may not sin. 
Redemption through Christ is the good news. But there is this clear purpose in God's Word that is part of the good news, and that is to keep us from sin. When the writers who were guided by the Holy Spirit did their writing, it was their intention, as well as God's, that the writing be read and learned and lived, that people would be forgiven of sin in Christ and then refrain from sin. So as I read Scripture and as you read Scripture, as we read and study it together here, and as you do that at home in your personal life, we're learning not to sin. And that has a sound of utter simplicity to it. But it's one of the reasons Scripture was given to keep us from sin, and it's the purpose that is highlighted by John when he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now let's go further with that. In Scripture, you discover this purpose, and you can activate it in a number of ways. One, by reading Scripture to identify what sin is to know what displeases God. And you come down to very specific attitudes and behaviors in Scripture. Lying, adultery, stealing. Two, Scripture keeps us away from sin by announcing the consequences. The consequences in your relationship with God the present earthly consequences of sin, and the eternal outcome. Scripture informs us of that to keep us from sin. Three, Scripture keeps us from sin by illustrating the ruin of sin. In the Old Testament, for example, the ruin of sin in one's life is illustrated. Four, Scripture keeps us from sin by attracting us to what is right and pure and good and holy that positively we ought to be engaged in. So those are examples. As we read and study Scripture, God is enabling us to avoid sin, and He's demanding that we refrain from it. When you see the ruin of sin in the lives of people, and you say to yourself, I don't want that, Understand that you don't have to live that way. God is speaking to us through His Word, and as we listen and learn and form conclusions and make applications, sin can be avoided. And John's purpose, as stated here, is fulfilled. So John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. A very simple practical lesson can be drawn here from the text and applied in our lives every day. Our daily purpose should be just as expressed in this verse that you may not sin. I need to get up every day with that in mind. I need to use the Word of God to train myself so that I can identify sin and the temptations that lead to it and put up appropriate resistance. I must develop my values and motives in positive ways. 
in keeping with the will of God and the example of Christ so that I'm engaged in keeping God's commandments and I know the difference between keeping His commandments and disobedience. I must use the word to grow and enhance my resistance against sin consistently and steadfastly and never give up with that purpose. This simple phrase in 1 John 2, 1 ought to be our purpose that you may not sin. Now, there is a question that attaches to that. What if I do? What if I do sin? There is one advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have learned, for example, in the book of Romans in the adult Bible class, that because of our sin, we are needy. We've learned that we cannot buy our way out of sin. We cannot work our way out of sin. We cannot devise our own plan of salvation. There is no human religious system we can submit to to be freed from sin. There's only one way to deal with sin. We need Jesus Christ. And here, He is described as our advocate. Now, when you come to this affirmation that Jesus is our advocate, guard against jumping to a conclusion. The conclusion that may be tempting is to think of Jesus as a defense lawyer with an innocent client. He will plead our innocence and we walk through his decorative rhetoric and his charm and skill in the courtroom. He convinces God that we are innocent. No, we are guilty. We have sinned. John has just said a few verses earlier, back into chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we are guilty sinners. All right, another temptation can deceive us. The thought that, yes, we are guilty, we are sinners... But Jesus will get us off without there being any penalty, nor any requirement on our part. That's not true either. The truth is, we are sinners, and Jesus bore the penalty. John says, He is the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus isn't like the attorney who convinces the judge that we didn't do anything wrong, even though we did. Jesus isn't like the attorney who declares us guilty but with no penalty and nothing for us to do. His advocacy is first of all in His giving of His life and then for His people who have responded to Him and who continue to walk in the light, His intercession for us when we pray, asking God to forgive us. So, right away I need to get two things out of this passage that come to me right off the page. One, I should use the writings of Scripture, such as John gives here and other writers, I should use the writings of Scripture to keep me from sinning. That ought to mean my daily intention. And two, when I do sin, 
I don't have to go directly to eternal jail. I have an advocate who's paid the penalty. But it's through active faith in Him and penitence that I'm able to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. There is nothing anywhere in the New Testament that encourages or recommends a relaxed, tolerant posture towards sin. I've taught that in the book of Romans. There is nothing anywhere in the New Testament that encourages or recommends a relaxed, tolerant position, posture towards sin. Matthew Henry, the gospel, when rightly understood and received, sets the heart against all sin. I have an advocate, not so I can sin, but in case I do. But then, there is a response on my part. And that's the third part of the text in 1 John 2, 1 to 6. I want you to listen to verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. I've always been baffled about why anyone would have any hesitation about an obedient response to God. There is no doubt that various religious writers and creeds have long crafted doctrines that have this result. Classic Calvinism, as reflected in many denominational systems, has advanced such emphasis on faith and grace that obedience has been pushed away. Well, our response to that has been to acknowledge the role of salvation by grace through faith and to praise God for His grace, but without stripping faith of its obedience. Here's one of the many places in Scripture where our obedient response to God is not just encouraged, it is demanded. And here's where I am motivated to search the Scriptures and apply myself to discover not just what I must not do, but what I need to do. Avoiding sin, you see, is only half the equation for me and for you. If I'm committed to an obedient response to God, that not only means avoiding sin, it means opening the same book that exposes sin to discover what God expects me to do. And that is best done and ultimately must be done on a personal level. Let me say that again. If I'm committed to an obedient response to God, such as is taught here, that means not only avoiding sin, it means opening the same book that exposes sin 
to discover what God expects me to do, and that is best done and has to be ultimately done on a personal level. Preaching and teaching can highlight obedience, positive virtues, specific commandments and examples of righteous behavior. But a preacher or teacher cannot write out a prescription for each individual. I need to read and apply scripture and find out where my deficiencies are and tackle those with God. I need to so examine myself that I not only know what I must not do, but as a function of my obedient response to God and my desire to be right, it becomes clear to me from the Word what I need to do. That's best done and ultimately has to be done on a personal level. What commandments need my personal attention? And John's way of putting this is to say, if you say you know Christ, but you don't keep His commandments, you are a liar. It it may sound to the modern world impolite. Yet it is clear, isn't it? Knowing Christ is connected to obedience. Any divorce of obedience from faith in Christ goes against the total testimony of Scripture. I should read and study the Bible to keep me from sin and then dig back into that same word and discover where I'm deficient and what I need to be doing in keeping the commandments of Christ. And that's best done on a personal level and ultimately has to be done on a personal level. When I do sin, I have an advocate. My response should be penitence and obedience. Obedience that will always include confession of my sin. As mentioned by John just a few verses earlier, back in chapter 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That obedience, keeping His commandments, will also mean I dig in to discover what I personally need to be doing. Walking in the light means not only staying out of the darkness of sin, but keeping His commandments in a positive way in the exercise of my daily reading and study and application and self-examination so that when God looks at me, He not only sees what shouldn't be there, He sees what ought to be there in virtue, in good treatment of people, in worship and responsibility and seeking first the kingdom. So here's what I want to do. To bring us to the benefit of the text again. I want to go back and start reading at verse 5 of 1 John 1. And then from there, I want to read down through verse 6 of chapter 2. Connect all this together. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Here's one way I'm benefited from that text. While it is my daily intention to avoid sin and do everything that's right that I should be doing, it is a blessing for me to know that when I fail, I don't need to fall into utter despair and just give up and walk away. While the absence of sin must be my purpose, it is gracious and merciful of God to tell me clearly that if I sin, it's not the end of my spiritual life, so long as I respond as directed. Here's one way to say this. God does not want His children to sin, and here and in other places urges us not to sin and gives us all the instruction to keep us from it. But what if we do? If we do, we have an advocate who is fully able to give us exactly the help we need when we call upon him penitently for such help. What an act of grace that God does not want us to fall away into despair over our sins. He wants to forgive us and restore us to fellowship but he doesn't do that automatically while we just continue in sin. It should be deeply and richly impressive to every one of us that God's grace covers the whole range of what we need, meaning no excuses remain, no pleading that we just can't make it. As we've studied in Romans, not only does God provide a way out of sin, but further provides for us to stay out of sin, and much more provides a way for us to get back right when we sin. Can you think of anything else God could do to get us to heaven? All He asks is that we follow His directions here, 
confessing penitently our sins, letting that remorse and godly sorrow take us back to keeping His commandments. One purpose in the text here. One advocate and one response. Let's be standing as we sing.